Good morning, Radiant. How are you? It's great to be here. Uh, I brought my wife and my sons with me. My wife, Amy, is here, and uh, my son, Ryan, here on the front row, and then where are my other two? Oh, over here with Jonathan, Jonathan McAtee. Hi, Jonathan. Great to see you this morning, uh, now that I've embarrassed you by pointing you out. And I also want to mention uh, Sarah Buckner, Chris and Sarah. Um, Sarah, where are you at? Back there, okay. <laughs> Sarah is a friend of ours. We go way back, uh, and uh, we did their premarital discipleship 19 years ago in West Lafayette, and uh, still going strong, so I'm feeling good about that. <laughs> Wonderful. So good to see her and, and to give her a hug today. Um, in case you're wondering who I am, I... I serve as the treasurer at the district office for the Assemblies of God for the state of Indiana, and I get to work with our superintendent, our executive secretary, our church development director, our youth director, and so many wonderful people to serve this wonderful fellowship that we're a part of. And so I just love that. I I look forward to being in the office and going to work every day. And I sense the presence and the power of God helping me and strengthening me and empowering me in my work. So um, before that, I was a pastor. I planted a church. I was a part of a revitalization of a church. I was on staff at a couple of churches. And so that's really kind of uh, my background, just so we can get acquainted a little bit. I want to share uh, my appreciation to Pastor Jerome and Heather. Um, They've become... Uh, friends of ours very quickly, and we're really very glad that they are in Indiana. What a win. We love that. (laughs) We love that very, very much, and we love them and their family. We've already uh, been able to share meals, and uh, they've been in our home, and we just just love their family very, very much. Uh, I want to just draw your attention now to John chapter 3. So if you could turn with me there, I'll be reading from the ESV, and uh, so hopefully you have a copy of that. If not, you can kind of follow along. I'm going to pick up where Pastor Jerome asked me to pick up in your expository message series through the book of John, and I love that your pastor has a high regard for the Word of God and its ability to transform lives so that he preaches expositionally to this congregation every week, in and out, week in, week out, to make sure that you are properly discipled in the Word of God and that the Word of God speaks. Very, very good. I love that. So, uh, he said I could preach on what I wanted, but I said, but you're an expository series. Yes. I love that. Can I do the next section? Yes. So here we are, John 3.22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Ainon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for, for John had not yet been put in prison. Verse 25, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. 
And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who, was, who has the bride, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this morning that the Spirit of God would empower us and anoint our ears to hear the word. I pray, God, that you would anoint me to proclaim it and to be clear, to speak with power from the Holy Spirit, to be able to speak even prophetically into hearts and lives things that you are prompting. I'm asking, God, that you will use this moment, Lord, to help us to exalt Jesus over the Word, just spending time in the Word and letting it become exaltation and worship. So tune our hearts to worship you, Lord, as we hear the Word. Let our hearts say amen, yes, and Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Not that many years ago, well, maybe about 20 years ago, our church um, that we were revitalizing decided to do a lemon shake-up stand at the Main Street Festival in our town. And so we thought, this isn't really about making money. We didn't really need to do that. The idea was we might make a little money for a cause. I think it was missions or something like that. But we just wanted to kind of get out into the community. We wanted to meet people. We wanted to be on the street. And so we cleared our idea with um, the people that were putting on the street fair. And we got our tent, we got all our supplies, we worked so hard, we got it all set up. Uh, And then right next to us, we noticed a Boy Scout troop. And they were setting up their tent, and they were setting up their supplies, and guess what they were doing? Lemon shake-ups. Amy said, hey... What are they doing over there? We got our idea cleared. How did they get to use our... They're stealing our idea. 
I said, yes, they're stealing. All right. Well, we kind of thought that way, but we didn't really talk about it too loudly. We were really nice to the Boy Scouts, but in, in our hearts, we're like, hey, they're going to take all of our people. They're going to end up taking our business. I wonder if they have better Lenman shakeups than we have. Well, everyone's going to go over there. So I can kind of understand a little bit about what John's disciples might have felt like when John had been the one that had initiated this rite of water baptism as a purification rite where he was getting people ready for the coming of Messiah and proclaiming repentance. And people were coming to John and lots of crowds were coming to him. And he was baptizing people in places where there was a lot of water. And why do you think that was? Because baptism takes a lot of water. And so there he was, baptizing people. But then suddenly, John's disciples notice that all of these people that would have come to them are not now going out to Jesus. Hey, this guy that you're talking about, now he is baptizing people. That's our idea. That's our gig. We have a patent on this. He stole it. And now they're all going to leave you, and they're going to go to him. For them, that seemed like a big problem. But that was not a problem for John. Because John understood that his disciples misunderstood his mission. His mission was not to draw people to himself. His mission was to draw people to Jesus Christ. His mission was to promote Jesus. His mission was to prepare the ground for Jesus, to make the way straight. His job was to point to Jesus. And so, today, we have to realize that our job is to point people to Jesus. He's the one to whom we must all run. I would imagine that John probably was saying, John the Baptist was probably saying, although I'm reading into the white space, I'm preaching from the white space now, I imagine he was probably saying, hey, I want to go over there. I want to run over there. You ought to run over there. We all now that Jesus is ministering and baptizing, we need to run to him. And so that is the heart of every true believer. I must decrease. He must increase. He must be everything. He must be the one that we point to. He's the only hope that we have. He is the only one that has the words of life. And he's the only one that is worthy of our affection and our attention. He's the only one. So we need to focus on the Lord Jesus together and uh, focus other people's attention on him as well. I think we need to look back at the end of the book of John to get an idea of where we're going here this morning. John 21, 25, right at the end of this book, John says, and this is John the Apostle, and we're going to be kind of, it's kind of confusing because we're talking a lot about John the Baptist this morning, but the book is written by the Apostle John, so 
Uh, I'll try to do a good job of making you aware of that. But John the Apostle says at the end of the book of John that there was so much that you could report about what Jesus did in his life and ministry that it would take so many volumes, it would just not be able to be contained. And I think he was thinking what a lot of preachers feel. There's a lot I can say this morning, a lot more than you have time to hear uh, in order to get to lunch. You've got to beat the Baptists to the restaurant. I understand that. But hey, I'll do the best I can. Uh, if I get away from my notes, uh, then all bets are off. Anyway, John says, I feel the constraint of what to put in and what to cut, what needs to be shared and what ought not to be shared. But because the Holy Spirit is guiding and superintending the words that he is sharing and the stories that he's sharing and the way they are all pieced together and the logic of the book of John, there is a reason for everything that's here to be able to share and to point to Jesus Christ, and to be able to point people to the gospel. There's a reason for every one of these stories. So why is this story here? Some people might be able to preach really great sermons about how we need to be humble in the ministry, or about how our church needs to not be jealous of other churches. And the list could go on and on, and you could get that from this text. It's here but I don't think that's the main reason why John put it here. I think John put it here to teach us to do something. And what John is doing is he is teaching us that every single one of us, all of us, need to run to Jesus. That he alone is the one that we need. We don't need John the Baptist. John's dead. We don't need John's baptism. We need the new covenant, and we need the words of life that come out of Jesus' mouth. We need to have Jesus himself. He's the one that the whole world has been waiting for. He's the one that we need. And so I've just got three quick points. The first one that I get from this text is that we need to run to Jesus because he alone, he alone is our hope. There are a lot of things that people put their hope in today, things that they think might be able to bail them out, fix the world, fix their family, fix their heart, fix their wounds, but there's nothing, 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 nothing that can ultimately heal you or heal this world aside and apart from Jesus Christ. He's the one that we need in every election period. People are clamoring for the right leader. Have you ever noticed it? Everyone's so desperate for the right leader, the right leader, Republican, Democrat, independent, whatever they are, they're all looking for it. And all around the world, people are clamoring for the right leader. This is the spirit of Antichrist that's in the world right now, looking for a solution apart from God to help solve all of our problems. But I want to tell you something. There is no solution apart from Jesus Christ. And there is no solution apart from the gospel. This world will never be healed until he reigns, okay? 
Uh, so we have to realize that Jesus is our only hope. I believe that's exactly what John the Baptist was getting at here. Exactly what he was getting at. He says, look, you all are looking to me. Jesus is better. Jesus is superior. Jesus is the one that I've been promoting. He's the one I've been laying the groundwork from and for. And look at verse 27. It says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. And again, in verse 30, he says, he must increase. That word must, the Greek word dei, must, means it is necessary. It must happen. This word is often used in the New Testament to talk about God's will taking place. God says, this must happen. Jesus must increase. Why? Because it's God's plan. Jesus is the center of everything that God is doing to save this world. In fact, he is the center of the plan of God for this entire creation. And so it must happen that he increase. So John says, you know what? I don't have any problem with this, that Jesus is being exalted and everyone's running out to him because God's behind it. Why would I want to get in front of what God wants to do? This isn't about me. It's about Jesus. I want people to do what God wants them to do. I want his plan of salvation to move forward. But not only that, not only that, but John says in verse 27, no one can receive something unless it comes from heaven. And so he says, God's the one that is taking people and leading them out there to Jesus. And that's how it works. The Holy Spirit is the one that draws on hearts. He's leading to people to Jesus right now. I believe he's leading people to Jesus in this room. And so God does that. That's God's work. So many people think, well, we do it from below. We're constantly trying to find our way to God. We're trying to find God. We're trying to discover God. And the Lord says, hold on a minute. It doesn't work that way. That's the Tower of Babel way. That's where you work your way up to me. You try to work your way up to me. You try to do things to make me happy. You try to earn your way to me. You try to build your way to me. You try to find me. You think in your wisdom and your fallenness that you can find me. You cannot find me. I have to reveal myself to you. I have to come to you. I have to send my son to you. And I will save you. I will draw you. That's what the Lord says. And so... It's up to you whether or not you receive him or reject him, but he's the one that initiates it. Let's get that really clear. Salvation is from the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. It's not from you. It's not from me. It's not from John the Baptist. It's from the Lord. That's why we need Jesus. He's our only hope. John the Baptist stands in a long line of Old Testament prophets. It's hard for us to think that way because John is showing up here in the New Testament. But John the Baptist was an Old Testament prophet. He was under the Old Covenant. He was one of a long line of prophets that said, things are messed up in Israel and things are messed up in the world, but God has a grand plan. And at the center of his grand plan is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. 
And when he comes, he will rule, he will reign, he will save, he will make things right, he will heal hearts, and things will be as they ought to be. And so again and again and again and again, the prophets would proclaim, and then you get to the book of Malachi, and it talks about the coming of somebody that would, that would prepare the way, and then now we have John the Baptist, and here he is, the last among a whole line of Old Testament prophets. It kind of reminds me of when we went down to Florida and we went to the Space Center, and we went into a room. It was cavernous. It was huge. And it had multiple stages of the rocket that took uh, the, space, uh, the space capsule into... And I, I, forgive me, I don't understand all the science. But the tip of that is what had the men in it, okay? You know what I'm talking about. The service module or whatever you call it. So there they went. So it was all together when it started in Florida, right? But when they launched it, those bottom rockets got it up, and then there was more that kind of boosted it farther. And then when it got where it needed to be, those rockets broke free and fell back to earth. And that's what we saw in there. They weren't needed anymore because the whole purpose of their existence was to get that service module up there. And that's exactly how John saw himself. He saw the Old Testament prophets that way. He said, we only exist for the one and only purpose of exalting Jesus Christ. We exist for the one and only purpose of getting him up there front and center. We have nothing to offer Westfield. We have nothing to offer Carmel. We have nothing to offer Hamilton County. We have nothing to offer this world if we are not putting Jesus up front and center, folks. He's got to be our message. He's got to be what we talk about. The gospel has to be our message. Otherwise, we have nothing to offer. We can say, I've got great programs. I've got great philosophies. I'm going to utilize all of these things that are out in the culture to help me. You know what? There's nothing really wrong with any of that stuff. But if you do that aside from the gospel, if you don't talk about Jesus, you have nothing, nothing to offer to anyone that will give them ultimate hope or eternal life. So it is very true. And I'm very thankful for the fact that we show compassion we should, because that's the heart of God. But you can heal somebody's body, but if you do not share with them the gospel, what good is that going to do them 500 million years into eternity? Think about it. The gospel is vitally important, and so it's not an either or, it's a both and. Both and. We have nothing to offer of ultimate value unless we offer them the gospel. And Jesus is our hope. So John says, you know what? The bridegroom, and you notice this in the text? He says the bridegroom is getting ready to marry the bride. This is last day's talk. And he says Jesus is the bridegroom, and the bride is God's people. And the bridegroom is getting ready. He's here. He's ready to marry the bride. Now, what is the job of the friend of the bridegroom? Wouldn't it be so weird at a wedding for the best man 
to want to steal the show and take all the attention off of the couple? It would be odd. It would be offensive. It would be... Uh, it, everyone would be mad. It's not the job of the best man to take the attention. It's the job of the best man to make that day the best possible day for the groom. And when he hears, John says, when he hears the voice of the groom, he rejoices. That is last day's talk. And so what John is saying here, John the Baptist says, I've been proclaiming in a long line of prophets the coming of the one that's going to save. He's here. I can hear his voice. And my heart is glad. He must increase I must decrease. My joy is complete. Job done. I'm a happy man because Jesus is here. And uh, it should also then fill our hearts with equal joy when we are sharing Christ with people and we are pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ and we say, this is Jesus. This is what it's all about. This is what life is all about. This is what you need. He's what you need. And when we do that and they find Jesus, when they, when they receive Jesus into their life, that ought to just thrill our hearts. So we ought to point people to Jesus Christ. Um... Years ago, when I graduated from seminary, I had a picture that I really loved, and Amy knew it. So when I graduated, she bought it for me. And maybe we can show it. That's not it. It's the other one with Simeon. There. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Simeon's Moment by Ron DeCiani, who is an AG Assemblies of God guy from Chicago. And Ron DeCiani painted this. We went to church with him up there, actually when we were in school. And this picture is a picture of Simeon there in the temple, and he's holding the Christ child, and there's a tear coming down his face because his his joy is complete. You follow me? When I saw it, I immediately started to cry myself. I thought, this is the heart of every Christian. This ought to be your heart. This ought to be my heart that Jesus himself is enough, and that he brings great joy to my heart. He's here. He's mine. He's mine. He's here. He has come. Uh, And he brings with him uh, all the hope that the world longs for. This is the hope of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I love this picture, and I think it helps to illustrate what I'm trying to talk about. Again, Simeon, an Old Testament believer, born under the Old Covenant, sees finally he's here. And I can rejoice. My heart is full of joy because he's here. And I think as Christians, we need to recapture that. There is no reason why we shouldn't be full of joy. Uh, And I think Paul the Apostle got this very well. Our relationship with the Lord is like a massive ship that just goes so deep in the water that no matter how wild the waves get, it just stays stable. And no matter what happens in our life, no matter what comes your way, no matter what you experience, 
no matter what you are facing in this life, because you are in Christ, because you have Jesus, to live as Christ, to die as gain, Paul says, you want to know something? I'm a happy man. My whole life is about pursuing Jesus, and ultimately when I die, I get to be with Jesus. How could I want anything more? And so the whole book, written in chains, in prison, is all about rejoicing. Rejoicing, because down deep inside, he gets it. Jesus brings joy. So I want to encourage you to recapture that joy in your life, and if you've lost it, to ask the Lord to help you to reconnect with the gospel and reconnect with the person of Jesus so that your heart is filled with longing for him and joy in him and gladness in him, and that it transforms your existence. I believe he wants to do that. I believe that. Uh, In Luke 5, the disciples um, are approached, Jesus is approached, and they say, hey, why don't your disciples fast? And they said, well, Jesus says they don't fast because I'm here. But when I'm gone, they will fast. When the bridegroom is gone, they will fast. They say, "What, what is he talking about? Well, when we fast, we express our hunger. We express our longing. And what Jesus is saying there is, my true disciples, the people that love me, they will love my appearing. They're going to long for my coming back. And they will fast. They will hunger for my coming. They will long for my return. And I want to challenge you because not only do we presently enjoy the presence of Jesus and the fellowship of Jesus, but we realize it's not quite complete yet. We realize that he's coming back for us. We realize that he's returning to establish his rule and reign in the earth and that we'll be with him. And so the longing of every true believer is one of for the coming of Jesus Christ that we realize that everything in this life is passing. Everything in this life is nothing in comparison to Him. And so we long for Him, we love Him, we desire Him. It informs everything we do in our life, everything we do with our time, everything we do with our money, everything we do with our priorities, everything we do with our goals, everything we do with our family, with our job, with the way that we live our life, with the way that we share Jesus. It's all wrapped around Him. It totally informs our life and the way we live. I want to challenge you to let the Holy Spirit use the person of Jesus to rearrange your priorities. And where you will long for him and long for his appearing, and while you wait, everything is about him. Everything is about him. The second thing, and I'm, I'm going to move more quickly. Don't worry about it. I realize I have a, have a limited time. We must run to Jesus because he alone has the words of eternal life. And we find that here in this text where um, toward the end you get past the controversy and then John says, you misunderstand. John the Baptist says, you misunderstand. This is my perspective. And then the last section of this of this section of Scripture, 
John, the Apostle John, gives his commentary. And what he says here is, he says, um, I want you to understand that Jesus is unique. He's the one and only son. He's not like anybody else. Every one of us, including John the Baptist, me, you, we all come from below. All we know is what happens on this planet. This is our world. Maybe you have some relatives that have never been outside of their county, and that's their world. That's all they know. Somebody comes into their county and tells them about New York City. They're like, oh, wow, New York City? Tell me about this place. Well, it's an amazing place. Incredibly tall buildings, millions of people. I can't even imagine millions of people. Tell me more. They have great pizza. (laughs) New York City. And plays where people sing. Tell me more. There's all kinds of things that you don't know about in New York City. And so I think that's what John's getting at here. He says Jesus comes from above. He's above all. He knows the Father personally because he and the Father and the Holy Spirit have been in perfect communion forever. So when he comes to earth, fully man, fully God, he can talk for God in a way no prophet has ever been able to do. This is what Hebrews gets at. This is what Peter gets at in his first epistle and other places in the New Testament. Jesus has a unique message and a unique perspective. But even more than that, he is coming at the end of the Old Covenant. He says there's a new covenant coming. Jesus is speaking it. He's speaking the gospel. He's telling you about what he has come to do. That he has come, fully man, fully God, without sin, living a perfect life, so that he can then offer his perfect life on the cross as payment for all of our imperfection and sin. So that he could reunite us to a holy God and make us righteous before God. And he rose from the dead because the grave could not hold him because he didn't have even one sin. That's how we know God accepted the payment. And when he rose from the dead, he led all of us through the same process We get united with Jesus by faith. We believe his message. His death becomes our death. We leave the old world behind. His life becomes our life. We rise to new life. We become spiritually alive. We have the hope of a resurrection. Because his righteousness clothes us, death cannot hold us. Okay. So this is the message Jesus comes to proclaim. He alone has words of eternal life. You can't go here and get words of eternal life. You can't go here and get words of eternal life. You can't go there and get words of eternal life. You can only get them from Jesus Christ. He alone has the words of eternal life. There are a lot of people looking for eternal life in a lot of messages. They're trying to find it in the wisdom of men and women. They're trying to find it in philosophy. They're trying to find it in programs. They're trying to find it in all sorts of places. They will never find it if they are looking apart from Jesus Christ. You'll never find it in another religion. 
You might th- find things in other religions that seem uh, maybe a little true, because, you know, they come from below. But every other religion is just from below, folks. It's not from above, because it didn't come from Jesus' mouth. What we need is a message from above. That's what's going to save people. And Paul understood this when he opened the book of Romans and he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because in it there's, there's a power at work to save those that believe it. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, you know what? I might be a weak man. I might not have a lot to offer. People might not think I'm so impressive as a speaker. That's fine. Now think about it. They said that about the Apostle Paul. Not so impressive. He says, that doesn't matter because I'm like an earthen vessel, just a common household item. But inside me, I contain the life-transforming message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everywhere I go, I take that with me. And when I speak it, people come to life and are transformed by it. Think about that. Everywhere you go, the gospel has the power to transform people's lives. Now, here's the thing. If you do evangelism, do evangelism, and you say, well, I'm just getting to know people. I'm just drinking coffee. I'm just sharing life. I said, that is great, wonderful, friendship evangelism. Have you shared the gospel yet? No. Well, how long have you been seeing this person? About two years. When are you going to get around to telling them about Jesus? Okay? So at some point, you kind of got to break the ice and say, let me tell you about the one. And then here's the thing. Do we have confidence in the word of God? Do we have confidence in the gospel that it is the power of God? Do we believe that? Then if we do, we'll use it and we won't be bashful about it. I I understand we need to have methods that are sensitive. I understand that we need to be respectful. I understand that there are a lot of different things that we need to keep in mind. And I'm not saying to go out and be offensive just for the sake of being offensive. But I am saying that there is something in the gospel. You can't mess it up if you just give the gospel, even in your very rough way. The Holy Spirit can take it and transform a life. So I want to challenge you today to speak the gospel. I want to challenge you today to enjoy the gospel. I think there are a lot of Christians that need to just remind themselves of the gospel. They've forgotten the gospel. They've forgotten that it's a gift, that they have to receive it. They've forgotten what God has done for them in Christ. They have forgotten the beauty of what Jesus did. They have forgotten. They've gotten their eyes off of Jesus. And as a result, their joy is not so complete. I want to challenge you this morning to get your heart fixed back on the gospel again. Sing the gospel. Sing it with all your heart. When you sing Amazing Grace, you ought to belt that out because that is the story about God and about you. There ought to be some great joy in singing that song. As well as all of the others, sing the gospel. Pray the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. You say, I don't feel very loved by God today. 
Well, you need to preach the gospel to yourself. That's what you need to do. You need to get some joy in that. You need to tell the gospel. You need to discuss the gospel at dinner. You need to meditate deeply on the gospel. Because the gospel, the word of Jesus, has power to bring life. And when you know Jesus, you have eternal life. When you know him. Here's the interesting thing. John doesn't say, when you know Jesus, you're going to get eternal life. He says here in this text, when you know Jesus, you already have it. Now, I'm going to wake everybody up with these next two words. Kanye West. You're like, oh yes, of course. You're going to shamelessly use that one. Well, I think it has some good connections here. A lot of people are like, well, I don't know about that. I mean, you know, we've seen so many celebrities come and go, and we end up getting embarrassed. Well, it's not about you or about me. It's about Jesus. And you know what? If any regular person comes to know Jesus, we get all excited about that. So I I say, let's get excited about it and pray for the guy. I love it when I see the video of him with James Corden. They're on the plane with the choir, and they're all singing gospel songs. Now, James Corbin, Corden doesn't normally sing gospel songs. So anyway, they're on there singing gospel songs, and he's getting interviewed. And he says, you know what? The way I figure it is, a long time I said I was a Christian, but I didn't really know Jesus, but I know him now. Something's changed in me. He said, everybody's in one of two states. You're either walking dead or you're alive. I'm like, amen to that. Is that not what we're seeing here? If you don't receive the words of God, you are already remaining in the death and wrath. But if you receive the words of Christ, you have eternal life. You have it. You're not just waiting for it someday when you die. You get it now. You have it now. This is a reason to rejoice. And finally, and wrapping up, we need to run to Jesus because he is worthy. He alone is worthy. He is the one that is superior to John the Baptist and every one of us and in every way. And what he preaches, his message is superior to the old covenant. He's bringing a new covenant, a new message. He is the Christ. John is not the Christ. He is the messenger. He is superior in every way. No one has seen him, uh, seen the Father, but Jesus. Jesus has unlimited access to the Holy Spirit because he is the Son. And the Father loves him, and he has sent him. Nobody can say that the Father has sent us in the way he sent Jesus, out from glory, like that. That's, that's unique. He's unique. He is from heaven. The rest of us are not. We'll be there because we're united with Jesus, but uh, we're not from there. Uh, he alone has the words of eternal life, as we mentioned. He must increase. We must decrease. And we're okay with that when we're true believers in Jesus because we love him and we totally get that. 
and we know it's right, and all of our heart is just filled with worship, our heart is filled with love, our heart is filled with praise and adulation for our Lord, the G- Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, our whole heart, our whole life is wrapped up in Him, and so it's all about our heart's delight. And the reason why John can say, I'm going to de- decrease, he's going to increase, and I'm really thrilled about it, is because John's heart was in the right place. And every one of us, when we receive the gospel, we realize that God transforms our hearts, and we receive what he does for us, we realize that we have to come to him in humility and we realize that we can't do anything for ourselves to save ourselves. We need him. And so in that moment of spiritual poverty, we throw ourselves at the foot of the cross and we say, God, transform my life. Change me. I receive what you offer. He must increase. We must decrease. That's what every true believer has to do. And that's what God calls us to do. And so this morning, I just want to challenge us to recapture the worship of a heart that's been transformed by Jesus. Jesus, you are awesome. Jesus, you are my everything. Jesus, you're the one that we're talking about. You're the one that we focus on. You're the one we love. You're what matters. You're what makes everything else matter. You're, you're the one. And... Uh, I want to conclude with this story of Pilgrim's Progress. Right at the front of that story, that book, John Bunyan talks about this guy that realizes that everything's going to be destroyed and he needs to get out. He realizes that he has to do something or he's going to be destroyed with it. And so he leaves and people are calling to him, his family and others, and they're saying, don't go, don't go. And he says, What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I've got to go. I've got to go because this is all doomed. I've got to go where I know that I can get life. So he plugs his ears and he begins to run toward the gate. And he says, life, life, eternal life. That is the heart of this passage. We need to run to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, we run to you. We need you. We long for you. We desire you with every part of our being. God, we pray that you would be the focus, that you would be the delight of our heart, that you would fill our life with joy, that the gospel would just ring in our heart every single day, and that it would come out of our mouth to people that need to be pointed to Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we would be able to share the Lord with with others and point others to Jesus, and that that would bring us incredible joy. And Lord, we pray that you would help us today to restore joy in our heart, the joy of our salvation. God, I'm asking this morning that you would open up hearts today that you would turn on the light switch, that you would help people to see the glory of God in Jesus' face, that you would help them, Lord, to see the beauty of the gospel and that they would receive you into their life. I pray that, Lord, in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for that, Lord.